Kevin pointed out, we are starting a new series in the book of Daniel today. That's going to take us through July, so through the summer. And I'm, I'm really excited about this study, uh, this preaching series. Usually, just in case you didn't know this about Wayside, we try to uh, uh, go back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament in our preaching series. So we've just rounded out the book of Acts this past year. And we were considering what to, to go to. Kevin actually suggested, because he was doing his devotionals in the book of Daniel in the fall, he suggested that we do Daniel this new year. And, uh, and, and I loved what he would tell us on Tuesday mornings as he was going through Daniel, how encouraged and comforted he was, even in the midst of really difficult times this past fall. And so that's really our hope. Our hope is that as we're going through this incredible book, uh, from the Old Testament, Daniel, our hope is that you guys would be encouraged and comforted as well. Um, the other reason I want to preach through Daniel is because it really does complement what we're going to be doing in the Bible studies. As we look at the entirety of the Old Testament, we're going to look at all of the history of Israel uh, from Ab Abram getting yanked out of Mesopotamia and, and God promising things to him all the way up to the, the conquest, the entering of the land, the kingdom, the division of the kingdom, the exile, the return to the land, all of it. And we're going to be looking at that this year. And Daniel really does occupy this great vantage point in the stream of Israelite history. Daniel kind of sits atop that, that timeline of history. And it's got a great vantage point that allows us because it takes place during the exile, when Israel was exiled out of the land into Babylon, uh, it, it gives us a way to look back at why the kingdom of Israel failed. Why was the kingdom of Israel a failure, even with kings like David and Solomon and, and, and others? Why was it a failure? So we can look back, but we can also look at how God will ultimately fulfill his promises including the specific promises he made to Abraham and to David, despite the failures of his people. He made very specific promises, and he will make good on those promises. And Daniel reminds us of that. So over the past couple days, we are inhabiting kind of three different houses right now. So uh, when all the, the, uh, the ice, the weather stuff happened this past week, I was driving in and out of this neighborhood several times, and as I drove through this Great Hills neighborhood, which so many of y'all live in, I was amazed by the just amount of devastation. I mean, it really did look like somebody had dropped a bomb with all the, the, the devastation and havoc that I was seeing. I mean, some of the roads weren't even passable and I had to turn around and go back. But we saw massive oak trees, who knows how old they were, lying, taking up entire yards or, or, or half of the road, lying there toppled, uprooted. We saw power lines down. We saw traffic lights out. We saw water pipes that had ruptured and ruined people's homes. Uh, we saw service trucks of landscapers and tree trimmers and plumbers and power companies, and they were ubiquitous, and they still are for the most part. Just drive around and look. Lots of trucks, lots of trailers, lots of service vehicles. And you know what? As I surveyed that damage, I couldn't help but wonder how it all seemed to happen so quickly. I was astounded that all of that devastation could happen so quickly and, and, and how it happened. I mean, you think about ice, you don't realize just the devastating force of nature. And that's sort of what the book of Daniel is like. It's a word from God to a people whose lives have been absolutely turned upside down in the exile. 
And they needed to know why things had taken such a dark turn. They were asking, why God are we out of the promised land and in Babylon? Why, O oh God? And the prophets were God's answer to that question. But specifically in Daniel, we're going to see him answer that question of why had things taken such a dark turn? But they were also needing to be reminded that God was still with them in the middle of the devastation. God was still right there, smack dab in the middle of what was going on in Babylon in the exile. They needed to be reminded of that. And they needed to be reminded that he would continue to work out his purposes and to restore and to redeem his people in fulfillment of his promises. And today we struggle with the same questions when we face difficult circumstances. And I don't have to go through a laundry list of every difficult circumstance that this church family is facing right now, but it is legion. And you guys are facing all sorts of hard stuff, as are we in our own family. But we struggle with those same questions. How did we get here? How did we get to, to being smack dab in the middle of all this havoc and devastation and brokenness? We, we want to know, what is God doing right now? Is God still working? Has God gone on vacation or fallen asleep or something of that nature? What is he doing right now? And how could he possibly make things right? How could he possibly actually bring this situation about in a, in a restorative way, in a way that accomplishes his promises and his plans. The book of Daniel teaches us to trust God's goodness when life is hard. And he will meet us, it teaches us, he will meet us in our difficulties and in our despair to help us understand our past, our present circumstances, and the future that we can look forward to in light of God's goodness and his promise of salvation in light of his character. So when life is hard, we can look back, backward to God's promise of salvation, that God will save us. And like Daniel, we can all look backward to see two things clearly. And we're going to see this throughout the next months. We're going to see the problem of sin. Why do we experience brokenness? It's because of sin. Why is this earth so broken at times, relationally and in natural disasters and death and suffering and, and uh, conflict and war and poverty? Why do these things happen that cause so many trials and trepidations for us? And the answer, simply put, is the problem of sin and the fallenness of creation. We're going to look at that. And that's what one of the things Daniel looks at. But looking backward is going to remind us of something else. So let's talk about sin first. Before we look at God's promise of salvation, looking backward to the past will always remind us of the problem of sin. Who could look at their past in this room? You don't have to raise your hand and say, yeah, I've never experienced the effects of sin in my life. I've, I've never experienced brokenness. It's been like heaven on earth for me. Right? Nobody. That's silly, right? Because we do live in a fallen world. And so I, I want to clarify what sin is. Like biblically speaking, sin is acting in unbelief or disbelief towards God. Sin is, is the rejection of the authority of our creator in our creaturely lives. Go right back to the garden in Genesis 3. It's when Adam and Eve chose to reject God's godness and try and make themselves gods of their own, to reject God's authority and try and achieve personal autonomy, which frankly is the God of our age too. 
That's what sin is. In the very good creation of Genesis 1 and 2, I'm reading through these, these uh, chapters with some of the guys in the church. Think about it. It's very good. It fell from that very good to sometimes a very bad and definitely a very broken situation. And it fell because of sin in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve again chose to reject God in pursuit of autonomy. And folks, hear me out here because this is going to come to bear both in the book of Daniel and our understanding of it and really all throughout the understanding of the Old Testament. We need to understand sin and the reality of sin, but also in our own lives. But that fallenness resulting from Genesis chapter 3 and that ultimate uh, initial rejection of God's authority by humanity, that has trickled down and affected every generation since then, including all the generations of Israel up to present day. And Daniel clearly saw the reality of sin in the history of Israel and how it had led to this devastation that he now found himself in and now found his people in. And he knew the words that God had spoken through Moses a thousand years earlier. Guys, the exodus was a thousand years before the exile. And so Daniel understood the books of Moses. He understood the Torah, the instruction. He understood that God had spoken through Moses in the 15th century before Israel had even set foot in the promised land. And what had, what had Moses said? What had God said through Moses? It's going to come up on the screen, but Leviticus 26, he says, yet if in spite of this, you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, God says, you, however, I will scatter among the nations and I will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become ruins. And then look at what he says in Deuteronomy as, as that second generation is about to come into the promised land. This is what God says through Moses in Deuteronomy 4. The Lord Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. In other words, he set before them blessings and life and cursings and death. Blessings for obedience and death and cursings for disobedience. That was part of what Moses was telling them as they entered the promised land. And then he predicts through Moses that you're going to choose disobedience and idolatry and I'm going to righteously judge you and send you to the nations and scatter you among the nations. Deuteronomy 28 says the Lord will bring you and your king whom you appoint over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods made of wood and stone. And then again in Deuteronomy 28, 64, furthermore, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you will serve other gods made of wood and stone, which you and your fathers have not known. So this is a thousand years before the exile in Daniel. So whether you're in ancient Israel or whether you're in modern America today in our context, we can understand that every not good thing in all of creation is ultimately the result of sin. Now, here's what you did not hear me say just now. You did not hear me say that if you're going through a hard time, you sinned and you need to figure out where you sinned and you need to deal with that sin and make, make atonement for that sin so that God can go back to blessing you and giving you Ferraris and lots of money and health, wealth, and prosperity. You didn't hear me say that. What I said is that all of the brokenness and all the hard stuff is the result of sin. And we know that every not good thing, because God didn't create not good things, right? He created a very good creation. Now, sometimes bad things happen as a result of our own personal sinful choices. 
I mean, all of us have experienced that. You choose to do something foolish and you deal with the consequences of it, right? I mean, we're pretty obstinate, stubborn people. We, we do things and we have to deal with the consequences. And a lot of times our choices, our sinful choices, bring suffering and brokenness. But guys, at other times, we're just affected by the sinful choices of others. That could be the sinful choice of someone as an individual who affects our lives. It could be the sinful choices of an entire group of people whose sinful choices affect our lives. But either way, when we sin, it ripples into the lives of other people around us. We know that if if you're married, for instance, or if you have kids or any sort of family relationships whatsoever, you understand that principle that our sin affects other people and we are affected by other people's sin. And then there's this third category that I would call it. Sometimes we just have to chalk up the difficulty and the trials and the brokenness to simply living in a fallen world where creation is out of whack, where our relationships with God are out of whack where our relationships with our fellow man are out of whack, where our relationships with animals and nature are out of whack. And sometimes that's why we experience the hardships. But either way, it's all the result of sin entering into the world and messing up God's good creation. So looking backward should also remind us of God's promise of salvation. Daniel doesn't spend a lot of time looking backward on the sin of Israel But he does look backward and he's reminded of God's promise of salvation. Guys, I want you to hear me on this. Because God is who he is, we never, ever have to choose despair. You don't ever have to choose. You will never be forced in any circumstance that you will ever face in this life on this earth to choose despair. Now, we might choose despair, but we do not have to. We can always turn to God for the hope of salvation, for the hope of redemption, for the hope of his restoration and his provision. And even though his promise of salvation doesn't always alleviate our immediate circumstances. And if you're like talking to a non-Christian about the Christian faith, please don't ever do this to them. Please don't ever give them the expectation that if they just trust in Jesus, they'll never face any hardships or difficulties ever again in this life on this earth. Please don't do that because you're going to set them up for some serious unmet expectations, okay? In fact, in in some ways, it's going to get harder when they trust in Jesus Christ, because all of a sudden, the enemy is going to put a target on their back too, all right? So, So we know that we ought not to do that. It's not going to immediately alleviate our circumstances. It does mean, however, God's promise of salvation does mean that he will be with us in the midst of our hard circumstances And that he sees us through and provides us with hope and peace and perseverance according to his power. His salvation has, uh, it's, it's both a past reality when he justifies us. It's a present reality that he's daily saving us from the effects of sin in our life and, and making us more like Christ. And it's also a future reality that he will one day glorify us in resurrected bodies where we will not deal with suffering or sin or sickness or temptation or death or any of these other things again. So it is a multifaceted promise of salvation, but it means that right now, not just way back when, when we were four at camp and trusted in Jesus, not just someday in the future in our glorified resurrected bodies, but right now today, individually as families and as church families and as the big C church around the entire earth today, Jesus is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is there to provide us with everything we need to endure, to persevere, both for our good, the good of others, and for his glory. 
And that's a beautiful thing to be reminded of. Daniel understood that the exile was God's righteous judgment against his people. He straight up told them a thousand years earlier, this is what's going to happen. Here's your choice. You can obey, you can disobey. He understood that they would choose to disobey. When he put the the, uh, restriction on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, it's not like he was shocked when Adam and Eve chose to reject his authority and chose to disobey him and had to be exiled from the garden. And this is a repeat of that. So God's not surprised by that. And Daniel understood that this was righteous judgment. But Daniel also knew that God is a God of forgiveness and redemption. Hear me, guys. God is just and righteous and holy, but God is good and loving and patient and forbearing and forgiving and merciful and gracious and all those other wonderful biblical words we have for God. And so Daniel knew this about God, and he was reminded of that as he was reading the scroll of Jeremiah. This is a fun little thing we'll get into in a a couple months, probably. But uh, uh, Daniel, who's a contemporary of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he's actually reading Jeremiah, who's a little bit older. He's reading his scroll, the same scroll we have in our Bibles. And he's reading it, and he sees and is reminded that, that God would return his exiled people to the promised land after 70 years. So listen to this. God built a promise into the scroll of Jeremiah even before they were exiled or as they were being exiled. So Daniel responds to God's promise of ultimately returning his people, redeeming his people. He responds with prayer and repentance on behalf of Israel. And this is in Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 through 5. It says, in the first year of his reign... He's talking about one of the kings. I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he reads this in Jeremiah's scroll. And then he goes on to say, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and pleading with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. So folks, When life is hard, we can look back to God's promise to save us from the effects of sin. And clearly today as Christians, having the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can look back to God's promise to save us and that he has saved us and that he is saving us and that he will save us from the effects of sin in our own lives and in the world around us. And folks, that is a wonderful source of encouragement and comfort in hard times. So Daniel definitely looks back to the past but, but the book of Daniel looks back to the past in order to influence people in the present. He's not just thinking about the past and reflecting on the past. It's for the purpose of application in the present. It's for the purpose of comforting and encouraging God's people now or then when he was uh, prophesying and also today by extension. So our second point is that when life is hard, we can experience God's protective presence in our present predicaments. When life is hard, In the middle of our present predicaments, we can experience and know the presence of God and be comforted by him. So with eyes of faith, we will see that God is present with us in our troubles. Now, guys, we can always look 
with faithless eyes. We can always, it's like I said about despair, we can always choose to look through a lens of faithlessness and just say, well, God's not here. What have you done for me lately, God? God doesn't love me. But those things aren't true. That's spiritual attack. We're tempted to believe those things that aren't true. But when we see God's word for what it is, the truth of it, and when we see God's character for who he is, the truth of him, then we can look through eyes of faith and always see God's presence in our present circumstances, in our troubles, in our trials. Again, his presence doesn't always, his presence doesn't always result in the immediate end to all suffering and hardship. You guys remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus, he's perfectly obedient. He's the, he's the son of God who is God. And he's praying to God the Father in perfect obedience to the Father. And he says, if there's any way for, for this cup to pass for me, he's talking about the cup of God's wrath, this cup of suffering, so be it. But not my will, thy will be done. So was God present with Jesus right then? Yeah, it even tells us God sent angels to comfort him in the, in the garden. But does God's presence with him Take away all suffering, all difficulty, all hardship? No, no. So please, please. Like, that's one of the greatest ways Satan tempts us is to believe that if God were present, you wouldn't be going through a hard time. No, it, it's, 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 God is especially visible and present to us as, as people of faith, as God's people in those hard times. And so it doesn't, immediately end all our suffering hardship, but his presence is often most deeply felt in the midst of difficulty. But it's in the midst of difficulty when we turn to him and receive that peace which surpasses all understanding and that supernatural power to persevere without succumbing to despair and losing our hope in Jesus Christ. I mean, come on. When have you guys grown the most in your faith? Was it in the good times? in the bountiful, plenteous, cornucopic times of your life? No. It's when we're challenged. It's when we're not making the bills. It's when we're in the midst of that conflict. It's when we're in the midst of that deprivation of some sort. It's when we've been fired or we've been falsely accused or when we're on the rocks in our marriage or, or whenever else. And, and that's when we grow. And that's when we grow the most. But it's when we recognize with eyes of faith that God is with us in the midst of those trials. So in the book of Daniel, we're constantly, constantly going to be reminded of God's presence with his people. And Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you know, Daniel and his friends, they never missed an opportunity to acknowledge God and to give him glory. They wouldn't bow to idols because they knew the one true God of Israel. They hadn't given up on the one true God of Israel and gone, well, let's look around for a God we can worship. They knew him and they knew that he was still with them. And so they wouldn't bow the knee to idols. And they knew that he was with them even in the midst of their exile in Babylon. He was right there with them in that pagan land. And like Daniel, if we serve God faithfully, folks, this life is not about our will. Okay, this life is about his will for us. It's about him working in and through our lives for his glory and for the good of others and ultimately for our good, too. And when we serve God faithfully, we will experience his protection. You did not hear me say that if you're serving God faithfully, that he will protect you from all hardship, brokenness, spiritual attack, you know, disaster, suffering. 
You did not hear me say that because we see the example of his most faithful servants in Scripture still going through hard stuff, right? But we can bank on the fact that God will protect us and provide for us so that we can accomplish his plans and purposes in and through our lives. Guys, if God has a plan to accomplish through you, then nothing, nothing, no, no person, no spiritual being, no circumstance, death, suffering, nothing can stand in the way of God accomplishing his will in and through your life. And that's a great source of comfort. Now, someday his will for our life will be fulfilled and he will bring us home to be with him. And that is a sad day for those of us that are still down here, but it's a glorious day for that person that's with Jesus in heaven when he's done working in and through them in this life on this earth. But it doesn't mean that we're going to be protected from every hard thing. The Lord's protection for his servants is a major theme all throughout the book of Daniel. And we see his servants protected from mass execution of wizards. I choose to call them wizards. We'll get to that. Uh, from a fiery furnace. You kids remember these stories. From a, a den of hungry lions. I mean, constantly he's protecting his people that he's working through, his faithful servants. And I love how Daniel's friends acknowledge God's presence and his protection, even as they humbly submit to his will for their lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the fiery furnace? We're going to spend a whole week on it in, in a couple weeks. But what is their attitude towards the emperor, towards Nebuchadnezzar, when, when he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to false idols? This is their attitude. Daniel 3, 16 through 18 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need of an answer to give you concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Now listen to this. This is thy will be done moment. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. They had faith that as God's faithful servants, God's will could not be thwarted by even the most powerful man in the world in that day and age. And we can have confidence of that as well. So if we look at our present circumstances with eyes of faith, then we will recognize God's presence and protection as we faithfully serve him. So to recap, Daniel teaches us to look to the past and to look to the present with eyes of faith. But the book of Daniel is especially well known for what? Not looking to the past or the present, looking to the future, right? That's what everyone thinks about when they think about Daniel. If you know anything about the book whatsoever, you probably know of the future-oriented prophecies in it, right? So let me, let me share this last point with you, is that when life is hard, we can look to the future hopefully, that means with full of hope, right? Expecting God's predictions and God's promises to come true. So looking forward with eyes of faith will give us hope for the present as we see our circumstances in light of God's ultimate salvation and the restoration of all things through Christ. That is beautiful. So before we dive into Daniel in the ensuing weeks, we need to understand something about biblical prophecy. Now, I'm not going to nerd out on this right now. Don't worry. We're going to have plenty of time 
to cover these biblical prophecies. But I want you to know this. Some Old Testament prophecies that we're going to look at in Daniel are predictive in nature. There are other predictive prophecies throughout Scripture, but we're going to look at some in Daniel that are predictive in nature, meaning what? Meaning that one of God's prophets, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, speaks as to what will happen in the future. They make predictions about the future. And that's predictive prophecy. So, in fact, the Bible, this is an interesting tidbit for you uh, as as we share our faith with others. The Bible is the only book in all of human history that makes predictive prophecies that actually come true. Did you know that about your sacred text? It's the only one. Why? Because God's the only God. And God gave us a book. He gave us text. And in that text, he makes predictive prophecies. He tells us what's going to happen before it happens. He's the God that reveals the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega, right? And so these predictive prophecies actually come true. However... Folks, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the supernatural, if you deny the possibility of predictive prophecy just right out the gate, then you have to assume that the predictions that we find in the Bible that come true were actually made after the fact, no matter how unlikely that theory might be, no matter how many holes we can poke in that idea that these are late, uh, late dated, that they're written after the things that they uh, supposedly predict. But listen, if you don't believe in God, that's your only option. Is it, well, somebody must have come in and written this after these things happened and made it look like somebody predicted something that came true, okay? And so throughout, throughout most of the centuries of Jewish and Christian reflection on the scriptures, the possibility of predictive prophecy was absolutely taken for granted. Do you understand that? For thousands of years, both Christian and Jewish thinkers just took for granted that because God is who he is, he could make predictive prophecies. And so Jewish and Christian scholars, they believe that the book of Daniel was actually written by a guy named Daniel in the 6th century BC, even though, for instance, it includes these incredibly detailed predictive prophecies about events 400 years later, for instance, in the reign of Antiochus in the the 2nd century BC. Super detailed prophecies. And so in modern times, skeptical Bible scholars have come up with these alternate theories to try and make sense out of the accuracy of Daniel's predictions. And so now you're going to hear some scholars. And if you go to the cesspool of bad information that is Google searches, uh, you're going to find all sorts of scholars that are going to, you know, so academically lofty in their lofty academic terms, they're going to they're going to demonstrate to you how. Daniel was not written by this guy named Daniel in the 6th century. It was written uh, 30 to 40 years after the reign of Antiochus in the 2nd century. And really, you know what that's all based on? It's based on the fact that they don't believe that God is God and that God can make predictive prophecies. And so what do you do? Well, it must have been written after Antiochus in the 2nd century, late 2nd century. Even though there's all sorts of internal and external evidence supporting the fact that it actually was written in the 6th century by a guy named Daniel. And we're going to see that. We're going to hear that. And we're going to get into all those predictions and prophecies in the coming months. Don't you worry. Uh, But we're we're, we're going to look at near predictions. That is things that were happening in in the years immediately following Daniel and in the hundreds of years after. 
Uh, we're going to look at a succession of world empires that are predicted through Daniel by God, including uh, the Greek rulers, including Antiochus in the second century. We're going to see predictions about the coming of Christ, like 500 years after Daniel's ministry. Uh, we're going to look at the, the, even the death and resurrection of Christ being, being witnessed to in the book of Daniel. And then finally, we're going to see into the far future as Daniel speaks of the return of Christ at his second coming and the final judgment and the resurrection of the dead. And all of that is, is looked forward to by Daniel and predicted by Daniel. And the things that have already happened that he predicted have actually come true with incredible accuracy. And that's great. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a wonderful encouragement to us in our faith, I think. And so anyway, we're going to look at all that. But all this to say, Daniel teaches us to look to the future full of hope, hopefully, especially in the hard times we're facing. And I want to close with one final point about the book of Daniel. And this is going to be a major theme. The book of Daniel is a book about kingdoms. It's a book about dominion and governmental power and authority and kingdoms. And, and ultimately, Daniel looked forward to the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, which was preached by John the Baptist and by Jesus and his apostles. And when we read Daniel in the coming months, we're going to look back at the failures of the kingdom of Israel. God established a kingdom and it failed. Why? We're going to look at that. We're going to look around at the succession of worldly empires, worldly kingdoms that subsequently defeated and, and uh, dominated God's people and, and to the point of exiling them to Babylon. But Daniel, listen to me here, Daniel also draws our eyes forward to the hope of Israel and to all of our hope. He draws our eyes forward to the hope of the arrival of the greater son of King David, to the son of man who will receive all authority, both in heaven and on the earth. The son of man passage, the most famous term that Jesus uses for himself, comes from Daniel as he receives power and authority from the ancient of days, from God the Father. And we're going to see that, and he's going to receive that authority in order to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom to end all kingdoms, the reign of the true king of kings to end all reigns where God will be glorified and his people will be rewarded from now or when that happens on into eternity forevermore. And that's what Daniel looks forward to. So I hope, I hope you're as excited as I am, at least partially as excited as I am to get into Daniel. And next week we're gonna start, we're gonna dip our toes in by just looking at the first two verses of Daniel chapter one in order to get a better understanding of how Israel ended up in this exile in the first place. And we'll talk about that next week. So let me pray for us. Please bow your heads.